joy in your circumstances. We're over in the first chapter of Philippians, if you want to open your Bibles there. It's the first chapter, starts about verse 12 and following. Joy in your circumstances. All of us uh, have circumstances, uh, situations, ordeals, challenges. <laughs> Did anybody have a challenge that came in this morning? And those circumstances are so varied across the living room this morning as we come to worship. And uh, some of them are very, very good. I mean, they're very positive. And they're encouraging. Some of them are, you know, they're mediocre. They're, they're fair. And then some are just, uh, man, they're just like, they're, they're, they're taking the breath out of you. It's like, man, you're looking for an, in, uh, an infusion of some hope and, and the Lord's goodness. Or there's this writer that I read a lot in seminary named Henry Nowen. And his quote is going to come up here. I love this. Joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. Now, joy is a choice. We choose to have joy in the person of Christ. It's a process that, that we live in life. But you have to choose joy. And I'm just wondering this morning, have you chosen to come in joyful and worship the Lord? And you probably go, oh, well, of course, it's Sunday. But how about Wednesday afternoon? How about Thursday morning? You're, you've got to uh, meet this deadline. Do you have joy? You're going through a, a, a tough place in your life. And are you choosing joy or you're like, well, no, my situation is bad. It's not good. There's no happiness in my life. It's not going my way. And I'm going to be miserable. But let me tell you, Pastor, I'm going to make everybody miserable around me. <laughs> and you don't have to tell them. They already know. Choose joy. Joy is that inward happening we talked about last weekend, the inward happening of grace. Right there in your notes, there's a, there's a message truth that'll come up on the screen, but it's right there. You can read it with me. Our circumstances should not keep us from living an abundant, joyful life as Christ intends. A proper understanding will enhance our joy quotient. I like that, our joy quotient, our JQ. But God wants his children to be vessels, instruments, conduits of joy. I just believe that God wants to fill us with the most joy-filled life on the planet for all believers in Christ. And that we walk around, that we abound in the hope, not as one that disappoints, but a hope that is resting in a solid manner upon the person and the work and the relationship we have with Jesus. And that joy just flows and that joy, I think, can be contagious because when people have the joy of the Lord, oh man, you, you just know it because you're going, well, how... How could you have joy? You're, you're in a really tough place. This morning, we, we talked about some of the history. We got into it last weekend. But this letter, this epistle, is written in a jail cell. And I don't know about you, but this afternoon, if we just said, we're going to start taking 12 people a week, and we're going to incarcerate you for one week, and next Sunday morning, you get free. How many would sign up for that? I don't think so. And you'd be like, much less, you would not want to read what I would write from a jail cell. And here's Paul. Man, he's got joy because it's about his relationship with the Father, with the Lord Jesus Christ. So I read this story that I thought was really good by G.W. Target. It's a, it's a little long, but I'd, I'd seen it before, and then I read, came across it again. I went, man, this is really, really good. I want you to hear this. Two men, they were both seriously ill, occupied the same small hospital room. One man was allowed to sit up in his bed for an hour each afternoon to help drain the fluid from his lungs. And that sounds like a really good story, doesn't it? 
His bed was next to the room's only window. The other man had to spend all his time flat on his back. The men talked for hours on end, and they spoke of their wives and their families, their homes, their jobs, their involvement of their military service, and where they'd been on vacations. And every afternoon, when the man in the bed by the window could sit up, he would pass the time by describing to his roommate all the things that he could see outside the window. The man in the other bed began to live for those one-hour periods where his world perspective would be broadened and enlivened by all the activity and the color of the outside world outside that window. The window overlooked a part with a lovely lake, the man said. Ducks and swans played on the water. Little children sailed their model boats. Lovers walked arm in arm and flowers of every color of the rainbow. Grand old trees graced the landscape and a fine view of the city could be seen in the distance. And as the man by the window described all this in exquisite detail, the man on the other side of the room would close his eyes and he would imagine the picturesque scenes that he had heard. One warm afternoon, the man by the window described a parade passing by. Although the other man could not hear the band, he could see it in his mind's eye as the gentleman by the window portrayed it with descriptive words. Unexpectedly, an alien thought entered his head. Why should he have all the pleasure of seeing while I never get to see anything? It didn't seem fair. Now, let's stop there. How many of you almost have been in that predicament? Life just doesn't seem fair. As the thought fermented, the man felt ashamed at first, but as the days passed and he missed seeing more sights, his envy eroded into resentment and soon turned him sour. He began to brood and he found himself unable to sleep. He should be the only one by the window, or he shouldn't be the only one by the window. And it now controlled his life and his thoughts. Late one night, as he lay staring at the ceiling, the man by the window began to cough. He was choking on the fluid on his own lungs. The other man watched him in the dimly lit room as a struggling man by the window grope for the button to call for help listening from across the room he never moved he never pushed his own button which he would have brought the nurse running in less than five minutes the coughing the choking stopped along with the sound of breathing now there was only silence deadly silence the following morning the day nurse arrived to bring water for their baths and when she found the lifeless body of the man by the window she was saddened and called the hospital attendants to take it away no words no fuss. As soon as it seemed appropriate, the other man asked if he could be moved next to the window. The nurse was happy to make his, the switch, and she accommodated him, and he was now comfortable, and she left him alone. Slowly, painfully, he, he propped himself up on one elbow to take his first look, and finally he would have the joy of seeing all of it himself. He strained to look out the window beside the bed. It faced a blank wall. Isn't that a sad story? You're like, wow, man, that's pitiful. I hope you got better more than that. But see, that whole thing is perspective. This one guy had perspective, and he could tell stories, and it would be vivid, and it would be full of, of life, life-giving. Another guy got consumed with being jealous and envious and, and bitter. And then when he had a chance to spare the life of the man, he would have nothing to do with it. And when I read Philippians, I'm reminded of that word. We talked about it a little bit last weekend, but I want you to come back to the word perspective. Paul would say to you and me this morning, what kind of perspective do you have? I know your circumstances are difficult and they're hard, but if you have the right perspective with a divine perspective, you'll make it. You won't only make it, you'll go forward. 
So what has really happened? Let's look there in chapter 1, verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. You know, it's interesting, that word, what has happened to me? You know, a lot of times we don't ask what, but we ask the other word. There's another W question. What is it? What's it? What is it? Why? People all the time ask me, Pastor, why? Why did I get sick? Why did I get cancer? Why did my grandfather die? Why, why, why? And here, Paul starts it a little different. I'd circle it in your Bible. He goes, what has happened to me? See, Paul had the perspective that God was sovereign and that God ruled over the affairs of man and that every I remember learning this years ago and it's so true everything that touches my life and yours has to come through the hands of the father everything that touches your life and mine is fathered filtered do you believe that yes or no yes or no yes I believe that you're like but, but, but's going to get you in trouble. But I don't like it. My situation is not favorable. I understand. I got some of those too. And you do too. But what has happened to me, and I like what Paul says, what has happened to me is advancing the gospel. The gospel is going forth. I, I love that. There's a, a clearing away of the underbrush. There's a... a making a way for this truth. There's, there's a change of perspective for him. And I think that's what it needs to be for you and I, that even though setbacks come to your life and mine, the setbacks could be for my good. They could, could be for the shaping, the conforming me to the image of Christ. And so, Lord, in this situation, Lord, would you give me spiritual eyes to look and to see what is before me, what is ahead of me? Lord, give me eyes to see. I pray that prayer a lot. Lord, I need spiritual eyes today. Oh, I've got help with my glasses and I have fair vision. But I'm thinking, but Lord, I want to see spiritually what you see. Lord, I want to see the things of the kingdom. So Lord, give me eyes to see. You can go ahead and begin to look at these statements of truth. Number one, get a new perspective and look beyond your circumstances to see the results of God. You see, if you and I get so inward focused and I'm consumed with my situation, with my circumstances, and usually when we get so enthusiastic, it's not because it's so good, it's because it's so horrible, because it's so bad, and I just focus on that, and I don't look at what God's got, I'm in trouble. I, I miss what God's got for me. There, if you go down to verse 12, he says, he said that his suffering helped to advance the gospel. One, one translation goes to spread the gospel, to propagate the gospel, to get the gospel forward, to advance it, to prosper this message. And then as a result of that, just move on down here in verse 12, to me has really served to advance. As a result, verse 13, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. He was chained up. House arrest attached to a guard every day every shift every six hours there would be a change in the praetorian guard and there'd be a new assignment but here was the elite guard system that would he would be attached to and he wanted to carry the gospel to rome and he was attached to a roman soldier and he would share the love of christ as we talked about last weekend so what happens in this simple thing 
the gospel goes forth. The good news of Christ, what he lived for in Philippians 1.21, to live as Christ, to die as gain. It's my life first. I love that passage, and I don't, I don't want to camp out there right now, but I want to just say this is it, to be a loving community, to be in these chains. And because Paul was in chains, he had a captive audience. I mean, they weren't going anywhere. They probably wanted like, I'm fixing to free you, buddy. He said, no, you're incarcerated now. You're already prisoned, but I'm going to talk to you about something. You won't have to be chained in prison in this life. I'm just wondering about us. So, and here this morning, there's some things that are, we're chained to. They're, they're holding us back. But he was in these chains for the purpose of God to share the good news and the love of the Savior. It was, it was an awesome thing, that, that whole captive audience. I remember... Uh, one time, uh, you know, I've shared Christ with a lot of people over the years and a lot of venues and a lot of speaking things and one-on-ones and stuff. But I remember this one story. I was, uh, I was flying to West Virginia. And matter of fact, this was the first time I ever had a flight. I, I was a young minister and I'd never been on a plane before. And uh, I flew to West Virginia and I'd heard Charles Stanley talk about some of these different stories and John Riley and stuff. I said, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to share Christ on this plane. And I was praying because I thought, man, they're at 30,000, 40,000 feet. They're not going anywhere. And I, I started sharing and, you know, it, it was doing okay. It wasn't doing great. And then I got to the airport, and I landed in Lewisburg, West Virginia. And, and I got there, and I came in. I said, I've got a rental car. He goes, we got it for you. Oh, they only had two. And, 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 and I walked over to get in my car. And, uh, and I remember when I, when I got ready to back out, my foot slipped off. They had so much armor all on the stuff. I thought, man, this is going to be scary. Me driving up a mountain, you know, all that. Yeah, okay, you had to be there. The coolest thing God did. This guy walks over and knocks on my window. Now, this is not a metropolis. I mean, Montgomery is a huge airport compared to Lewisburg, okay? And this guy walks over, he goes, hey, could I catch a ride to the mountain? And the thought occurred to me, I've got this guy locked in with me. He can't go anywhere. And I put him in. I let him ride. And I shared Jesus with him the whole time. It was awesome. Yeah, this whole chain thing. And so it was my early tactics for evangelism. Just get somebody in the car and tie them up. And then they'll like, want to hurry up and get out. Hey, my best friend in life, after I got radically saved, we would, we would of course, we would drive our cars, and uh, usually I was on my own, but sometimes we would, you know, <laughs> this is funny now, this is how poor we were. We were paying 50 cents a gallon for gas, but we would want to save gas money. Didn't that sound funny today? But, but the truth was, we, we were being a little cheap, and, uh, and I remember, I would, sometimes I'd get in the car, he'd get in the car with me, and I had one goal, get him saved between Montgomery and Troy. And I would wear him out with Jesus. And today he is one of the greatest believers I know, loves God. He still says, you remember when I used to be a captive audience for you? And you would share Jesus? He would wear me out. I go, I know, wasn't that fun? He said, well, we, we weren't thinking fun. But, uh, but anyway, okay. So I'm not, cra- I'm not, I'm a little more sensitive today to the cultural uh, sensitivity of people and how they might whatever bull I, I just wish i was like that i just wish i was a nuisance sometimes okay so here it is no don't don't write down you are a nuisance okay but look here he says as a result it's become clear through the whole palace guard to everyone that i'm in chains verse 14 because of my chains most of the brothers in the lord have been encouraged to speak the word of god more courageously more fiercely One translation says they got more bold because Paul was chained and he was speaking so profoundly the words of life. 
And I just think about it. When people are free and they're beginning to walk out and share their faith, a lot of times it encourages our faith to go for it, to give our testimony, to not be chained. The, the, uh, the mother of John and uh, Charles Wesley, Susanna, she had 19 children. Do you think she ever felt chained? I, I'm going to say yes. And I remember the first time I ever read this, I thought it was the funniest thing. She, she loved God, and she taught her boys about the Lord. And, and two of them really got it, would you say? I mean, they changed the whole, created a whole denomination. And, 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 the, and I thought this was so funny. I, just, I think about you young moms all the time running around. I know you're stressed, and kids are pulling toilet paper off, and they're pulling everything out on the floor, and it, it, it's, it's called fun in Jesus. And, uh, and, but you know what Susanna did? To make sure she had her private time with God, she would get her apron and she would put it over her head. And she would say, now John, Charles, da-da-da-da-da-da, all the kids, when mama's under that thing, don't you dare mess with me or I'll shoot you or something, you know. And so they knew if mom had that, so some of y'all ought to go home this afternoon and just put the apron over your head and we'll think you're Amish. Okay, anyway, all right, so anyway. Boldness, moving to the mission, moving out. Uh, sharing Christ, choosing Christ in the midst of situations, midst of circumstances. So this confidence, this, this boldness went forth. That real joy was, was coming from the Lord. That, that joy was just rising up in the Apostle Paul. And I think, God, would you do that in our church today? Would you rise up in those that have faith in Christ, that dwell, that abide in Christ, that are connected to Christ, that have strong relationship with Christ? And would that joy just fill this place and take us to new places? And Lord, that joy can't be taken away. Write down, I think I did it last week, and I'll give you this verse again, John 15, 11. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that now your joy may be complete. See, Jesus likes to complete stuff. We looked last weekend, Philippians 1, 6, I'm confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in me will perfect it, will complete it against the day of Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad that God completes that which he starts? <laughs> I am. And he's going to complete that work in you and me as we trust, as we run to him. We choose joy over our bitterness. We make a decision to choose joy every day. We choose to be an imitator of Christ. We choose to believe the gospel. We choose to fix our eyes on Christ. And yet, sometimes we see the persecution of the church. We, we see trials. We, we see hardships in, in, our, in our country, in the world. And what does it do for us? I, I hope it helps us to consider the trials that others are going through and encourages our faith that they might be faithful. We might be faithful to that which Christ has called us. I know this morning you're, you're going through some things, a lot of you, maybe all of you today. So this message, this whole series is about consider it all joy, my friend, when you face trials of many kinds kind says the book of james god we want to be a joyful people when we walk out we want people to know the joy of the lord is ours and the joy of the lord is our strength said nehemiah and we just go through all these great verses and we go lord i don't want a fleshly joy joy write this down joy is simply an issue of the heart the heart is the core the existence of man and joy is the essence of that. It, it's the issue of the heart, that my heart is right with him and that I'm obedient and I'm faithful. And when I'm obedient to Christ and when I'm faithful to Christ, the Lord fills me with fresh joy. He fills me with overwhelming joy to rise up and to be all that he wants me to be. So, Lord, we want you to be our strength. We want to not get caught up in the issues of life, but, Lord, we want to let you be our joy. I'm not asking you to, to fake it and to smile, go around, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Joy, I don't even know what it means, but the pastor said I better be that way, so I'm going to give him a, a Jesus answer. I want it to be 
resting in Christ and trusting in Him and looking to Him. As I study Scripture, I know this, circumstances cannot take away biblical joy. Paul, chained for the gospel? Man, come on, give me a break. That is not a good situation. Oh, but it was in God's perspective. And that circumstance certainly didn't take away the joy from the Apostle Paul. We, we read about his life and we see what he did. And we get so excited about the things of the kingdom and what God's doing. And listen to what 2 Corinthians 6.10. Paul says that Christians can be even more sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. He wasn't like he was some Pollyanna and he always knew that we just had to walk around with a joy. He knew there would be times that it would be tough and sorrow would fill our hearts. We would, we would grieve. Jesus, he mourned at the death of his friend Lazarus. I mean, he knows about emotions and tears. He created them for crying out loud. But he says, but you can even rejoice in the midst of that. In the midst of how tough you think things is, or I can strengthen you. James 1, 2, and 3 that I just quoted, but the ESV says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The testing of your faith produces endurance. So, Lord, in this joy test, you're doing something greater than I'm aware of. And the byproduct is I get joy. And joy is that inward happening. Joy is the issue of my heart the issues of the heart are complicated in many and the lord wants you and i to rest in him and rejoice in him this morning and but let me tell you there's something that can steal your joy christ says i've come that you might have joy and it might be complete but there's something that can steal your joy in mine it's a three-letter word s i n Sin can rob you and me of the joy of the Lord. Sin, the Bible says, grieves the Holy Spirit. So this morning, if, if there's not maybe a lot of joy in your life, you first need to check in, like, do I have a relationship with Christ, number one? And then number two, is there unconfessed sin? Is there a broken relationship? Is there sin that the Lord has revealed to me that I need to repair, that I need to repent, that I need to make right? And then the joy can return. So this morning, it could be just as simple as confession, that the joy of the Lord begins to uh, come back in and, and replace bitterness and, and anger and, and, and all kind of other toxic emotions. And God goes, I want to do a supernatural work here today. That fullness of, of inner contentment. But we have an enemy. And he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's opposed to my joy and yours. And I got to tell you, he does a pretty good job, doesn't he? I mean, you want to give him credit? He does a good job of stealing joy. But i got to tell you this morning, when we look for biblical joy according to the Word of God and our relationship with Jesus Christ, man, we can have joy, unfathomable, un unspeakable. That, Lord, I refuse to give up my joy to the tempting whispers of the enemy. This morning, there's an enemy of your soul, and he comes to steal and rob your joy. And Jesus says, I've come to give you joy that it might be complete. Somebody needs to hear. I could stop right here and you're going, man, I need that word today, Pastor. Because you're, you're opposed. We had a marriage conference this weekend I talked about earlier. Do you think that we've had a lot of marriage challenges in the months leading up to? You cannot believe some of the counseling things that I've been through in the last uh, three months prior to this thing. 
I don't know what's going to unleash as a result of that because Satan doesn't like it when people get their marriages right, when marriages get hope, when marriages get reconciled, when marriages get restored, when people begin to move on with Christ. Do you think Satan just goes, oh, isn't that nice? Look at the church. It's walking like it should. Let it go. Let it go. No, he comes after you because he doesn't like it. I mean, Satan loves it when people have affairs and marriages split and people go south and people scream and cuss. I'm a pastor, so let me tell you, you won't believe some of the situations I've been in. I was in the grocery store one day. Now, I never go to the grocery store. I just don't. I do a lot of things, but Donna has just been gracious, and she goes, and there's a lot of reasons. I don't know what I'm doing in the grocery store. I buy a bunch of stuff we don't need, and my grocery runs take about three hours because I see people I know. And um, so I was in there one day. I said, baby, I'll pick it up. So I went by to pick it up. True story. Woman met me in center aisle and began to scream and cuss. Now, I'm a pastor, and I, I wanted you to know, I was, I was embarrassed. And I said, no, no, you're not that mad. She goes, I am that mad. And then she started screaming. I thought, look, you got to, you got to stop. First of all, somebody's going to think me and you got something going on, and that ain't right. And the other thing is, you're talking ugly. You, you got to get rid of this rage. Oh, he's a blah, 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 blah. I said, stop it. We can talk in my office, but we ain't going to talk here in public, you know. So those, you know, some of these public places scare me, you know. She just felt the liberty to throw up on me right there in the grocery store. And you laugh. Because <laughs> it wasn't you. I mean, what am I going to do, walk off from the woman? Like, I don't know, man, the woman's deranged. I think she just got out of the mental hospital and she just came over here. I mean, I, I did like her, nice person. I've seen her in years past. God's healed her heart. He's healed her emotions. I ask her, are you going shopping? I make sure I don't go. I mean, you know, I don't know. <laughs> J- just thinking, you know what I'm saying? Isn't that crazy? Yeah, consider an opportunity for great joy when you face trials of many kinds. The lie of the enemy, he comes to, to steal, kill, and destroy. Listen to him, write down 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It doesn't say, don't give thanks for all circumstances. Let me tell you, you've got a bad situation It's not like, God, thank you that I'm dying. Thank you for the cancer. No. But in this cancer, I choose joy. I bless the name of Jesus. Amen? I got to tell you, I meet people that are sick, and sometimes their faith is so deep. It is so mature. It is just like you're with them. I go to see sick people in the hospital, and so many times I leave there, I'm like, I just went to encourage them. They encourage me. I'm going to get in the bed next time. This is awesome. I mean, man, just their faith is just, it's overflowing because it's Christ. And then sometimes you go to the hospital, and it ain't going so good, and they were negative before they got there. Now they're like quadruple negative, and it, it just it ain't going real good. And I'm trying to read to them, and they're like, I don't want you to read, preacher. Oh, okay, well, could I pray for you? And thank God nobody's ever told me no, because if they do, I'm just, I don't know what I'm going to do. But anyway, captive audience again. Okay, that principle, I'm just going to pray. Okay, here we go. But God is found in our circumstance. Even the most difficult situation, I believe Jesus is there. When we're facing a trial, it's huge. Jesus is there with his presence and with his joy. And so the thing that I think about in giving thanks in all things, it helps me to the reality of finding God in my walk of faith. It helps me to realize that Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You're not alone. 
I love that passage. Every time I read it, a lot of songs are written by it. I'm not alone. Lord, you are for me. Lord, you are with me. Lord, you'll never depart. Your presence. The Bible says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. Say that with me. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Do you believe that? I hope you do. In the presence of Christ this morning, the result of just giving him thanks and giving him praise. Look at the second point. Don't focus on the personality, but see the priority of Christ being preached. A lot of times we get all wrapped up and we see the personality of the person and, and, and we miss out what God's got for us. And, and here, Paul's preaching, he's proclaiming, he's sharing Christ, he's having an effective witness. And some people are here are saying that, you know, it's the Judaizers are all coming against him and everything. And, and then there's a lot of people, they're opposed to Paul because Paul is the great gospel orator. So there's a lot of envy. There's a lot of jealousy. So did you know some people were thrilled that Paul was locked up because they thought, we're going to get in the limelight now. We're going to get the glory now. Now, how sick is that? But they were just thinking that. And they didn't like this personality of Paul. He didn't probably necessarily like them either. But they didn't like him. And sometimes I thought about us. I thought, we can do that. Sometimes we don't like the personality of others. And yet, the, the principle is there, but the priority. Listen, let's just see how Paul says it here in this letter. Verse 15, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. That's why Paul was there. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in change. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. Because of this, I rejoice. So sometimes, and, and we do it, can you believe them over there? Can, can you believe that? Oh my goodness, man, idiot. Or, oh, oh, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Or whatever, they did this, they did it, no, no, whatever. But Christ is being preached. Maybe different or a little different than us, but Christ is being proclaimed. And here Paul just goes, Christ is being exalted. Christ is being magnified. And their motives, I, I don't know their hearts, maybe I do know their motives, and their motives were wrong and they were selfish and they were carnal and they were fleshy but christ was lifted up nevertheless christ is preached so that's what the the letters of paul are really about is about proclaiming the gospel that christ is lifted up that he is a a, a greek word here is like canvassing for the office it's like it, it, it's taking it forward it's it's proclaiming that with everything that you have and here's what i know you and i are the only bible that some people ever read they don't they, they don't read ancient letters they don't read this scripture i'm not condemning them i mean a, a non-christian i mean i don't really expect them to read it it's cool if they do they might find the lord a lot of people can get saved reading this amen but the, the truth is they don't but you know what they do they read you and me and i hear this all the time and we do it tongue-in-cheek hey pastor you know them little christian fish i ain't getting one why you ain't seen me drive have you I ain't putting it on my car. Or you go, I'm not putting a Christ community decal on my car for anything because I'm a poor witness. Well, my thought is, well, then become a good witness. Although this came home to me one day, Donna told me, she was, no, baby, you're on this decal kick, and that's really good, but uh, you're going to have one on your car, so I want you to be watching you driving. It's not that I'm a horrible driver. It's just not that I'm a good driver. <laughs> you just fill in the blanks. Just think about it. 
I mean, you know, I'm the guy that gets a speeding ticket right there in front of Vaughn Forest Church one day in Jesus' name. I'm just coming to work, you know, but I'm accelerating. And then the Montgomery's finest said, no, 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 it's not allowed. And Jeff Bush got a kick out of it because sometimes I can talk my way out. Not trying to. One time we were going to a thing, the guy said, what are you doing? I'm saying, well, I'm going to do a relief project to take some goods. He said, well, then go on. And Jeff just said, really, really? You just got off? Well, this day I stopped and I was waiting for the guy to ask a nice question and maybe I could give him the truth and he would, but he just got his book out so quick. He said, is this you? I said, it is me. Guilty. He goes, you are here. Here's your ticket. Then he said, have a good day. Dude, I'm not having a good day. You just charge me. But you see, I could have a good day. That was a bad circumstance, wasn't it? The joy of the Lord could still abound. I didn't come in the office saying, Jeff, can we sit down and sing the Hallelujah Chorus? I just feel compelled to sing for East Montgomery. I think I moaned and groaned and all that. Okay, here we go. Why are y'all laughing at me? I'm laughing at you too. Okay, here we go. Third, the Lord allows stuff into our lives to shape us into the image of Christ. Uh, look at Romans 8, 29. For God knew his people in advance and he chose him to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. I like that. To become like Jesus. Circumstances are allowed or permitted by the Father to shape, to frame you and me. And I know that we're designed by God, but God has editing rights. And he does the final edit. Matter of fact, it's a divine edit. It's a masterful edit. Look at the fourth one. Disappointments become God's appointments to reveal his glory. Friend, I know circumstances can be tough. But the greater perspective is I think they become appointments from the Father to do something in me that he might work through me to touch his lost and broken world. And a lot of times those are just very, very hard and Matter of fact, as I was thinking about this point, it just became so clear to me. And then I always go to one passage, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. I love this verse. You need to read the whole thing in context, but just listen. It says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. You intended it for harm, but God did that which was good and perfect for Joseph. And a lot of times your, your circumstances is hard and you're saying, man, what could come out of this? But I promise you, when you surrender it, when you submit it afresh continually to the Lord, God can intend that which was horrible for the glory of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? I do. Lord, so these tough situations that I find myself in, I've realized that you're sovereign, you rule, you reign. And the fifth one is this. We maintain our joy despite the bleak or dire circumstances only by keeping our focus on Jesus and not ourselves or our situation. It always comes back to a perspective front and center, Jesus. Lord, if I put my perspective, my focus on you, Lord. So I was thinking, how do y'all, how do y'all keep your focus on Jesus? Some of you'd go, well, you know, I, I've got the Bible on my phone, on my app or whatever. Cool. Hey, I have a Bible with me. Great. Po Pastor, I like to fill out three by five index cards. I do sticky notes. I do all kinds of things just to try to keep scripture central to who I am. So I can just focus upon my relationship with Christ. That I can get the joy of the Lord. Because in this whole thing, you see the, the depth and, and the magnitude and how you fall and, 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 how you, and how you blow it. 
and how things mess up in God's light. You know, th this debt thing is pretty huge. Th this sin issue is pretty awesome. But my God's grace is greater than the magnitude of your sin. And as I look at that, I just think about, Lord, I need to focus on you more. And not so much on my situation. And, and look, look here at the bottom line. Grab on to God's joy. Man, just take hold of it. Grab it. You know, like uh, when you go and, and, and you're trying to get something or somebody's giving away something and you start just grabbing? Little kids know about that, don't they? I'm just saying, man, just find yourself in pursuit. God, I want to grab all your joy as much as I can. I just want it to overwhelm me because, God, I want joy. I want joy in my life. And, and I'm just going to move down here because Christ is being preached. But if you look down at verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, May Christ be magnified. And Lord, I want, you to, I want you to be bigger. Lord, my expectation is health and prosperity and joy and peace. But Lord, sometimes my expectations are broken and I face broken expectations and we all do. But my earnest expectation is you, Christ Jesus. Paul's expectation was this. Jesus, you be honored no matter what. Jesus, I'm in chains, but I'm in chains for the gospel that your good news would go forward and be advanced. And it did. And it went to a whole region. And it went to the world. And now we find ourselves in 2016 just reading the book at Philippi going, Lord, this is an amazing study. It's an amazing thought. Dan DeHaan, a writer, said, In all that I think and say and do, I long, O God, to honor you. But may my highest motive be to love the Christ who died for me. So in this series, I'm hoping that you're going to say, you know what, I would want to be a person of joy. And we're going to discover that as we walk through an ancient book to the church at Philippi. So Lord, come in this place, because there's a lot of disappointment in this room. I, I understand that. I've got disappointments. You've got disappointments. But greater than my disappointments, greater than your circumstance, is the Lord Jesus Christ. To be praised and exalted and magnified and worshipped and honored and pay devotion to. So this morning I pray that you'll just go, that's where I'm at. I've been missing some opportunities to magnify Christ. I think that's what Paul would say if he just showed up this morning and said, Hey, guys, you don't have it bad. You're going back to Prattville. You're going back to Hampstead. You're going back to Sturbridge. You're going back to Pecan Grove. You're going back to Fox Hollow. You're going back to this neighborhood. Hey, you're going home. You're going to go home and have some lunch. You're going to go home and the kid's going to throw up on you. That's going to be awesome. You're going to go home and you're going to have mashed potatoes and chicken. You're going to go home. You're going to, oh, oh, oh yeah, oh, okay, that's good. But he'd go, but guys, tomorrow might really bring a, a difficult situation. Choose joy over the circumstance. Let's pray. Father, oh, I see the test coming for all of us. And may we choose joy over the circumstances of life because you're so much greater. You're a great God. 
and you're worthy of our praise this morning. Forever, we will praise you. Forever, we will sing of the goodness of the Lord. So, Father, in this life, help us to not miss so many opportunities and to worship you in the name of Jesus.